This isn't a constitutional republic. Not with agencies like this abusing American citizens' rights. I have no use for the FBI. And you know what? Neither should you. Welcome. You're listening to the Straight Talk Podcast. I'm your host, America Sheriff David Clark. Thanks for joining me. We're going to talk today about this this issue of guns, firearms laws, gun control, and what the Democrats' real objective is as it relates to the gun control issue. But I want to start with a, a small segment here on, on an area that, you know, it's just not more my forte. And as Clint Eastwood so infamously said, a man's got to know his limitations. I want to talk about, just for a brief moment here, the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and then the uh, the other bank out in Massachusetts. First of all, and I, I read up on this, I read the Wall Street Journal. That's where I get a lot of my news. And I just wanted a, a basic understanding of what the heck happened. And I'd be the last one to sit up and try to walk you through that banking regulations and banking laws and you know that sort of thing. First of all, it would put you to sleep because it put me to sleep as I was reading it. Very convoluted in terms of how the banking industry operates. But there's a couple of interesting aspects to it that, that I just want to make a mention make mention of here. The first is that here we go again. If you remember back in 2008, the financial industry darn near collapsed. Right? Actually, it did collapse. Remember the the big f- statement was too big to fail. Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs and and the government had to do something and to create or or to prevent a global collapse of the banking industry because it's all interconnected. And they came up with this idea, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, the TARP program, the Toxic Asset relief, Relief Program. In other words, the government came in and bailed out the banks, took all their toxic assets. Remember the the uh, home foreclosures and that kind of led it the collapse of the uh, the housing market. All these outstanding mortgages people were walking away from and declaring bankruptcy, and so they the, the government steps in and and buys all of that all of those toxic assets from these banks. So they they cleared their books. The banks were able to get rid of all of these bad loans. And they were bad loans. They were making loans that they should not have been making. Giving money away. Free money. I think the interest rate was zero. Right after the the collapse of the financial sector. And of course, we heard that famous phrase, you know, we want to make sure this never happens again. Remember in a previous podcast, I said, if you ever hear that phrase or that statement, we want to make sure this never happens again, run as fast and as far as you can. Because rest assured, whatever they're doing to make sure it never happens again, it's going to happen again. The reason it's going to happen again is because they work on the wrong thing. 
you'll hear that a lot when you tune into this podcast is, you know, they, they, they're working on the wrong thing or they should be working on the right thing. Here's what they should be doing versus here's what they're doing. When you work on the wrong thing, you get the wrong result. So now you and I, the taxpayer, are on the hook. We're on the hook in 2008 for all these bad loans. And the banks were able to clear their books. And they instituted, of course, you know, a couple more regulations, a few more regulations, so that it never happens again. So here we are in 2023, and guess what? It happened again with Silicon Valley Bank. And I just can't think of the name of the one, but the bank in uh, uh, Massachusetts. And it roils the markets. Yes, it does. The global markets. And of course, you know, Congress, oh, we're going to have to have hearings. What happened? We know what happened. We, the same thing that happened in 2008. The question I had was, where are the regulators who were once again asleep at the switch? They weren't paying attention because this didn't happen overnight. And nobody was really held accountable in 2008. None of the regulators. None of the people who made the money off of this, because by the way, in the, in the Silicon Valley Bank, the investors got their money out, the board members got their raises, and who's left holding the bag with no cash in it? The people who had uninsured loans. Depositors. Whose money wasn't protected under FDIC. They're left holding the bank, the, the bag. So the question I had is I'm Briefing myself on this stuff is, who's going to be held accountable? Because nobody ever is. That's the most maddening part of this, if you ask me. Nobody's ever held accountable. So, of course, Congress will, you know, do some saber rattling, right? Whatever committees, oversight committees in the House and the Senate will hold hearings, and it's just FaceTime on TV, and they'll be finger-wagging by these congressional members as these banking industry people appear before them and they'll be yelling at them, it'll be make for great TV because that's all that crap ever is. Donald Trump was right a couple of weeks ago when he made mention of the fact that we lead the world in terms of investigations. He was basically talking about Congress and he was also talking about the, the uh, it was New York State who continues to investigate him over the Trump International uh, his company and, and, you know, some of the things that they were doing, never-ending investigations. Of course, if they can, they'll hold him accountable. They're trying to contort some sort of way into doing that, but I digress. So who's going to be held accountable? Nobody. Here's another aspect that I want to mention before I get into the, 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 the meat of what the podcast is going to be about today. I saw a story connected to SVB. And it says, according to the story, Silicon Valley Bank made loans to Black Lives Matter in the amount of $73 million. Let me say that again. SVC, I'm sorry, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, 
made loans to Black Lives Matter in the amount of $73 million. You know what the story didn't say? Who specifically it went to? Where did this $73 million go? Who took out the loans? I don't know if they were giving it away. $73 million. We need the loan applications. We need the paper trail to find out whose pockets from Black Lives Matter this money went into. Think about this. Do you think you could walk into a bank today as an individual, even a small business, and ask for $73 million? Yes, just sign on the dotted line here. Thank you for your business and good luck on your venture. And what did they do with it? I don't know. But this is the kind of stuff that goes on. You know, the last time we saw somebody actually be held accountable in something like this was, remember Kenneth Lay? Does that name ring a bell? He was the CEO of Enron. Remember when Enron went under? They were monkeying with the books. Kenneth Lay was marched out of headquarters. The Frog March, the Perp Walk, in leg irons and handcuffs, in a public display. They tipped the media off they were going to do this. Every major news network covered it. Video. You know how powerful that was? For Kenneth Lay, the, 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 the CEO of Enron, to be frog-marched out of their headquarters? You don't see that anymore, though. And that's why, who's going to be held accountable? I want to see people before any bailout, and that's going to happen. Because it's, you know, well, we have to. We, we can't allow the financial industry to collapse. Before any bailout, I want to see people indicted. I want to see people in leg irons and handcuffs walked out of their homes, walked out of their businesses, these banks, these bank officers, all of them. But unfortunately, we won't see that. And I also want to know how Black Lives Matter got this money. Did they make loan applications? What was the loan for? Did they have to put up any collateral if this was a loan? Or did they just give it away as a donation? That wasn't their money to give. Those were investors. Those were depositors. That was their money. And, of course, this will just, you know, this story will fade into the ether like all these things do. Mainstream media has turned into nothing more than state-run propaganda. Bulldog TV was founded by Americans fighting for America to restore the fourth branch of government. Support alternative media like Bulldog TV by following them on Facebook and Truth Social.
You talk about race, crime, and politics. Some folks lose sleep over this, but not me, because I sleep just fine on my Giza Dream Sheets and Pillow from my pillow, especially this new 2.0. If you haven't gotten yours yet, you are missing out. Just go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CLARK, at C-L-A-R-K-E, and save up to 66% off. The direct link is also available on my website, americasheriff.com. Get a great night's sleep so we can continue the fight. I want to get into something a little more interesting. As I indicated, it's the issue of guns, guns in America. The Biden administration is up to it again. He's not alone. This is a mainstay, one of their main pillars in their political campaign planks, platform, gun control. So Biden's on the trail. I think he was in California. Yeah, Monterey Park, perfect place for it. And he announces new action to reduce gun violence. Folks, and I'm going to demonstrate it. This stuff's not going to work. It's a big swing and a miss, as they say in baseball. Working on the wrong thing. And they know it. The Democrats know exactly what they're doing here. They know darn well this won't work, but they're placating to a big demographic of theirs, anti-gunners, gun control lunatics, obsessed with guns. And I always get a kick out of them, you know, because nothing really incites... <laughs> hair-on-fire reaction in the United States than just the mention of the word gun. (gasps) People shriek, guns. Oh, my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been around guns darn near my whole life. What I mean by that, my father owned guns in the house. And never touched one of his guns. He made that clear. My dad didn't even have to lock them up. I know he kept one in the nightstand. I never thought about it, picking it up. I was not curious about it. I'm not suggesting that all young kids are like that, okay? Some are curious. I get it. But with my father, if you knew my father, if he said something, <laughs> oh, man. I knew he meant it. He didn't have to say it twice. But anyway, then as you know, I became a law enforcement officer, and so I've been around guns. I own guns today. I have a big safe in my house. Not to keep the guns away from anybody in the house, but in case I get burglarized. I got five semi-automatic rifles. I got a couple shotguns in there, and I probably got a half a dozen handguns. But I have some other ones Sprinkled throughout the house in case I need it. I got one on every floor. I know where they are in case I have to quickly grab one. I don't want to have to run from the the uh, the man cave up to the upstairs bedroom to get it. Got one on the main floor, one in my nightstand, and one in the man cave. But here's the thing. I always get a kick out of stories that, you know, uh, uh, for instance, a passenger at such and such airport was stopped with a 
loaded gun. So-and-so had a gun and it was loaded. Every time I hear that, I laugh. Who the hell walks around with an unloaded gun? That's got to be the craziest thing that you could do. It's almost like saying somebody was driving a car and they had a full gas tank. Someone was involved in a crash and the car had a full gas tank. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you have gas in the automobile? Why wouldn't you have bullets in the gun? The guns I have readily available, the one I use, concealed carry when I leave the house, they're all loaded. Why would I have them unloaded? Now, if you have young kids around, young kids, they're curious. You have a responsibility. But again, we get into this issue that, and we have to remind people of this. And every once in a while, we have to go to court, and we have to remind the court in fighting back these onerous gun regulations and gun control legislation that these are individual rights. These are not group rights. So have, you have some communities, mainly in California, that have these restrictions that if you have a gun in the house, it has to be locked up and it has to be unloaded. Ladies and gentlemen, that is insane. Like you're going to have a time to unlock the cabinet, find the ammo, load it up. If, if somebody's breaking into your house, you got that kind of time? But anyway, Biden's out in California and he comes up with this, these new actions to reduce gun violence. Number one, moves as close as possible within existing law to universal background checks. Let me pause there for a second. Universal background checks. What the hell does that mean? Universal. See, the, the left, and they're very good at this. I give them credit. How they can demonize a thing, a person, or a thing. They've demonized guns. They've made them evil. And then they come up with these words and phrases. Universal background checks. That's really code language for, we're going to make it as hard as possible for you to exercise your Second Amendment rights. Ladies and gentlemen, I am tired of the Second Amendment being treated like the bastard child of the Bill of Rights. No other Bill of Rights is made as difficult to exercise as the Second Amendment. By the way, Florida just became the 26th state, I believe, 27th state to pass constitutional carry, which means that any lawful gun owner can carry concealed without having to go through the process of getting a permit. Can you imagine if we did that with the First Amendment, that you have to get a license to exercise it? And that you have to take training. As a matter of fact, we probably should have training required on some First Amendment issues because of how stupid people talk. But we don't. Why? It says Congress shall make no law. It's very clear. 
The same with the Fourth Fifth Amendment. I want to exercise my Fifth Amendment right to counsel, but I have to go get training and a permit? Now, I know some of you are thinking, what about voting? We make you register to vote. Voting's a political activity. The Second Amendment is not. Not only that, to register to vote, all you have to do is fill out a three-by-five card, for heaven's sakes, and you're done. Anybody listening to this who's ever purchased a firearm knows the process. I've had to do it a number of times for every gun that I have. you got to find a federal firearms licensee. He has to fill out forms. Check this out, ladies and gentlemen. He or she has to fill out forms. You have to fill out a form. It's got, it asks all these questions on it. And then there's a waiting period. I know they have this instant background check. You know what? Just about every time I've gone in to pick up a firearm, my background check is delayed. So in other words, the FFL sends it in, right? And it's all done electronically. After about 10 minutes, he comes back, ah, there's a delay on it. You you know, come back tomorrow and we should have an answer. And I just, you know, I just go, oh, man. Instant background check. Can you imagine doing that? If we did that for voting, I'm here to register to vote. Okay, fill out this form. And it's it's got more than name, address, and phone number. Because that's about all you need to register to vote. You just got to prove you live in the... uh, the city or the county, and the proof is put the address down. I'm okay with that. I don't believe you should have to go through hell and high water to register to vote, but I don't think you should have to go through hell and high water to purchase a firearm. Some restrictions are okay. Can't have a felony record. Okay, cool. That to be 21. I, I argue a little bit with that. Why is it 21 for handguns, but 18 for rifles? So you, you, you filled, and then it cost me $25 because I have to pay for the processing. I don't have to pay for the processing of my voter registration. You don't fill the thing out and then they say, okay, $25 for the processing for, to, to get you on the voter roll. No, it's free. And there's work involved by government officials, so it costs money, but they don't charge me to exercise my right to vote. That's a poll tax. So is charging me $25 to purchase a firearm. That's a poll tax. Now, $25 for me is not going to break the bank. But you add that on top of the fees required for permitting. That's why I mentioned Florida became the 27 state to pass constitutional carry. Any lawful gun owner can carry anytime, not anywhere, because they're private property rights. People can say no firearms here. That's fine with me. But gun-free zones are killing fields, and I can make the decision. I'm not eating in that restaurant because a holdup might go down. By the way, short story here. Tragic. True story. I had the occasion a couple of years ago to run into a woman. I'll just use, use her first name, protect her identity. Her name's Amanda. 
And she's very open about this, so I'm not giving away any sensitive information here. She went public with it. She was a student, I believe, at the University of Nevada, Reno. Anyway, that's a public institution. And they have a law, government school, that you can't carry a firearm on campus property. Now, this is government. This is not a private school that I'm okay if they want to do that. Private property rights. This is a government institution. So being the law-abiding citizen that she is, she was taking classes night school. And she's walking back to her car one day into a parking structure by herself. She's attacked and brutally raped at gunpoint. She's a concealed carry permit holder. But she left her firearm locked in the car to go to class because she's a law-abiding citizen and the school says no firearms. So she didn't have access to her firearms. She's brutally raped. I was sickened listening to that. So in other words, remember I said they're killing fields? She abides by the law. The rapist did not. He didn't care about the sign that said no firearms on on, on the college campus. By the way, West Virginia just passed a law allowing concealed carry on colleges and universities that are part of the public university system, public ones. Good for them. So anyway, getting back here, this, this permitting process. In some states, this caught to get a concealed carry permit can cost up to four or five hundred dollars. That is a burden to low-income people. That's a burden. For, for you and I it might not be. But it's a burden to a lot of people that might not have four or five hundred dollars to obtain a Government-issued permit to exercise your Second Amendment Amendment right. Can you imagine the uproar if we told people registering to vote or exercising their, their, their First Amendment right, including religious freedom? Well, if you want to practice your religious freedom, you got to fill out a form here. And you got to pay us a processing fee. I mean, if someone suggested that, you'd look at them like they have two heads. You go, what? But all of a sudden, it's okay when it comes to the Second Amendment, and I'm tired of that. You remember in a previous podcast, when I talked about, and I read from my document, Wanted New Conservative Fighters? Go back and listen to it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of those areas where we need We need new fighters. The left makes this a never-ending war, this assault on your Second Amendment freedoms. They will never stop. They will never, ever stop. For them, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And us, not so much. We get a few small victories, 
in this fight to exercise our Second Amendment right, and then we kind of kick back. We go, oh well, that's that that that's 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 good. No, never let good enough be good enough. We need to d- develop an attitude about the Second Amendment, like the Democrats do about abortion, unfettered abortion. They want even post birth, partial birth, as ugly as that that is. They don't care. No, never, and they'll never negotiate. An unfettered access to abortion. Never. No. Nunca. We need to have that same attitude about the Second Amendment. We need to stop negotiating with the, right, with the left and allow them to continue to, to scale away at our Second Amendment rights. With this stuff like this, universal background checks. This stuff is ridiculous, and we don't fight hard enough. You remember the shooting in Uvalde, Texas? Tragic as it was, talking about school kids mowed down by an individual with a semi-automatic rifle, but he did that. I didn't do it. And of course, every time there's a mass shooting, because the Democrats don't do this with all the violence going on in our urban centers, that goes on on a daily basis. About 8,000 people murdered per year in the United States, in the streets, in the communities, and you never hear a word. Well, yeah, they do. They say, well, we need to ban the AR-15, you know, because we want safer communities. First of all, that's not the weapon of choice in these urban killings. So you can tell they're lying right there because, again, they're good at demonizing. They picked out the AR-15 that they changed the name. It stands for Aerolite Rifle. It's the name of the company that makes it. That's all. They say it stands for automatic rifle. No, it doesn't. But see, they did it anyway. They lie to achieve their agenda, their gun control agenda. So they've demonized the AR-15. I bet everybody has heard of the AR-15 because they incessantly talk about it. Oh, we got to ban the AR-15. So you get Uvalde, Texas. And of course, you know, right away, the Democrats... Exploit the situation. They're always at the ready on gun control. And they pull out their gun control agenda, and let's see what we can accomplish here. Hey, let's talk about universal background checks. And they go into this narrative, and it's the same thing every time because they're ready. And they keep driving it home and driving it home and driving it home. You know what they end up doing? They get the Republican members of Congress, some calling themselves a conservative, to buckle. Well, we we can give up a little more. Yeah, maybe we do need to talk about universal background checks. Happens every time on mass shootings. The Republicans cave. So Mitch McConnell, after Uvalde, appoints Senator Cornyn of Texas. And he says, you know, get some Republicans together and work with the Democrats to come up with something. To which I said, go back and look at my tweets. Like hell you will. Those are my right. That's my right. And it's an individual right, which finally the Supreme Court codified in the Heller decision. It said the Second Amendment is an individual right. You can't come along with this mass 
you know, a mass law that says nobody can carry a gun in the federal district. Nobody can have one. It was about having a gun in your home, which was prohibited in D.C. And impossible to get a, a permit. And Republicans are okay with this? So the Democrats come up with some set of, you know, bills under what they call the Safe Communities Act. Oh, how lovely. Because who's not for safe communities, right? I'll tell you what I'm not for. I'm not for giving away my Second Amendment right because somebody else went out and did something horrible, horrific. Well, then, Clark, you must, you know, be okay with school children getting killed. No, I'm not. What I'm for, for is arming teachers inside of schools so there can be an immediate response when some shooter comes in there not standing around waiting for the police, who, by the way, behaved terribly in that situation, stood outside. That's why we need to take a look at arming teachers. Things like that. We need to expand Second Amendment rights like we do every other right under the Bill of Rights. We're, courts are always looking to expand these rights. But when it comes to the Second Amendment, we want to contract them. But that's the courts. That's a different issue. Let's get back to Congress. So you had Congress go along with this Safe Communities Act, you know, strengthening background check, all this nonsense. And the Republicans went along with it. And they would call themselves conservative. They want to call themselves constitutionalists. Those are God-given rights. And I did not give them the authority by proxy to give mine away. It's not why we elected these people, to give away our rights. They're God-given rights. And under most circumstances, okay, some of them can be taken away. Like, we don't let felons have firearms. They've already forfeited their right. And they've demonstrated that they can't handle that right. But I never did that. So now every time I go to purchase a firearm, you know, I got to jump through more hoops. I'm tired of that crap. But that's what we get out of our Republican members of Congress. They want to call themselves conservative. I couldn't believe that. And you know, there was no uproar from the masses. There were no demonstrations. Look how the, remember I said we need to, with the Second Amendment, Guard it like the left guards abortion? No. No negotiations. Never. Nothing. Period. Get out of here. That's their attitude on abortion. Never, ever. Well, they take a step back. As heinous and, and, and ugly that abortion is. They don't care. They claim it's a right to murder babies. And here's ours is codified in the Second Amendment, and we're going to let them pare it away, and we're going to, well, maybe, you know, just a little, because, you know, the, the, the voters and the moms are out there, and moms are saying they want something done. And it, not with my rights, you don't. You can give yours away anytime you want. There are a lot of people in the United States that do not have guns in their home. They don't own guns. That's okay. I'm cool with that. That's their exercising of the Second Amendment. Nobody can force you to be armed. Some countries have that. You have to own a firearm. 
I'm not saying we should have the kind of government control. These are God-given rights. So we sit up here and watch this happen. The, the, the left, every time an abortion thing comes up, a state wants to curb abortion practices just a little bit. Demonstrations all over the country. They take to the streets. Take to the streets. That's where you get action. That demonstrates. Protests, demonstrations, demonstrates how serious you are about something. We don't. We take to the editorial pages. We get into the safe spaces of our think tanks. We write about it. We call talk radio and, oh, they can't do this, this, that, and the other. But we won't take to the streets when it comes to paring away our Second Amendment rights. And that's what should have happened when Biden showed up in California to announce this, these new actions. There should have been demonstrations wherever in Monterey Park. Where were our gun control? Where were our gun owners? Where were our anti-gun control people? And there are a lot of them in California that are against gun control, that are gun Where were they? Well, you know, we're busy. You know, go back to my wanted new conservative fighters. We find excuses. Well, we're busy. Well, you know, we got jobs. We got... The founding fathers had jobs. They were farmers. They left their fields and went off to fight for freedom. And we won't? We're too busy? You got to be kidding me. This sickens me. So here's another one of the things in his new actions to reduce gun violence. Increase awareness of red flag laws. These red flag laws are unconstitutional, and here's why. They don't allow for due process. Due process is embedded in the Constitution. 14th Amendment, it's embedded. Unlike abortion that the Constitution doesn't speak to, not a constitutional right, states can regulate it. Due process is mentioned in the Constitution. You cannot take life, liberty, or property. Liberty. You're taking liberty away if you are trimming my Second Amendment right. You cannot take it away without due process. So they want to be, and again, this is just like shaving a little more up. They want to be able to take your guns away. If someone calls in, it could be anonymous and says, hey, I think this guy's dangerous over here. My neighbor or so-and-so, my, my, my son-in-law, whatever. And Okay, I'm not saying nobody should be sent, nobody should investigate. But it allows government, law enforcement, to take your guns without a hearing. That's taking away liberty and property without due process. The due process comes later. They'll take your guns and then you get a hearing later on down the road. We don't do it like that in the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Due process comes first. And I understand that there are some situations where someone shows themselves to be dangerous, and then in the best interests of whatever, safety, you could take them away, but that's limited. Red flag laws allow you to just do it willy-nilly. Now somebody complains, said, you're acting a little foolish. We're taking your guns. We'll have a hearing in two weeks. Now they took away my ability to defend myself and my home until this hearing happens. And, of course, the way they sell it, well, it's about community protection. No, it's not. For the left, it's about gun control. It's about frustrating your attempts to exercise your Second Amendment. That's the true objective. 
So I'm against red flag laws. Besides that, every, just about every state in the country has laws to protect public safety when those situations arise. Someone who's mentally ill or mentally incompetent or goes off the deep end, you know, and they own firearms. In Wisconsin, it's called Chapter 51. The, the, the name of this, uh, that's the chapter of the law it, it exists in, exists in. And you could take firearms away from people who demonstrated that they're dangerous. But you have to have a hearing. You have to have a hearing first and have it quicker. You say, well, you know, what if the hearing, it takes a, a month to have the hearing? Well, then have it quicker. Don't take my due process rights away out of convenience. I understand the courts move slow. That's not my fault. If you have Republicans that support this crap, not only at the state legislative level, but in the Congress. So here's another one from Biden's new actions to reduce gun violence. Advance firearm and public safety practices through defense acquisition of firearms. What? Let me read that again. To advance firearm and public safety practices through defense acquisition of firearms. I don't even know what that means. I can't really even comment on it. Defense acquisition of firearms. Anyway, here's another one. Improved support for victims, families, survivors, and impacted communities. Here's another one. Provide the public with more information about firearms dealers who are violating the law. I I didn't even know that was a problem. First of all, if a firearms dealer violates the law, he gets his federal firearms licensee revoked. That's enough. What do I need information on that for? We don't even give out information on people's criminal histories. You know, in Wisconsin, you cannot get a juvenile's criminal history. Criminal history. It's shielded. And some of these other things, too, are on criminals are shielded from public access. That's more valuable to the everyday citizen than giving out information about firearms dealers who are violating the law. And here's, here's another one. Advances congressional efforts to prevent proliferation of firearms undetectable by metal detectors. What they're talking about are these plastic guns, of which there aren't many. We aren't finding that these plastic guns are, are getting into, like, through airport uh, checkpoints and whatnot. We find out there's a problem with that. Okay, then let's deal with the problem. And then here's the last one I'll talk about. Accelerates federal law enforcement's reporting of ballistic data to catch repeat shooters. (laughs) Oh, man. That's called criminal history, ladies and gentlemen. We already know what, what these repeat offenders are up to. And we won't keep them locked up. And we'll go lenient on the sentencing. And we'll give them a second chance on violent crime. But it's going to, Biden's new action will accelerate federal law enforcement's reporting of ballistic data to catch repeat offenders. Ladies and gentlemen, I was trained by the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in 
ballistics tracing. Went down to their center in Virginia, spent two days, three days, going through their firearms tracing center, learned the process, how to do it, so on and so forth. There's no, there's no problem with that. I mean, with nobody said, hey, we got a problem with the transferring of data. So actually, you know, this, this, these new actions, they're all activities. That's all they are. And never let these people fool you into thinking that an activity is the same as an accomplishment. I mean, look, notice the words. Moves, accelerates, increases, improves, advances, provides, accelerates. This is all nonsense. That's all this crap is. Nonsense. Won't do a damn thing in terms of reducing gun violence. You know how you reduce gun violence? Because I've done it. You identify the perpetrators. You arrest the perpetrators. You make sure they get charged criminally. And upon conviction, again, that's the due process. I'm, I'm okay with that. Upon conviction, you make sure that the judge gives this person the longest period of confinement allowable by law. And we did that during the 90s under the Violent Career Criminal Act, authored by none other than Joe Biden when he was in the Senate. Senate Judiciary, I think, was a committee. The Violent Career Criminal Act. We had federal, local, and state Law enforcement entities, including the prosecutors and the judges, hammering these people for acts of violence, locking them away in many instances in federal prison for long sentences. And guess what we experienced? Historic lows in violence. Record lows in street violence. It worked. I get sick of people who try to tell me, well, we can't arrest our way out of this. Yes, we can. Yes, we should. And yes, we have. Look at the results. We got away from it. Now we're in this crap like this. Well, you know, we got to reduce violence, so let's go after gun owners. That's what this stuff does. That's all it does. The criminals look at this crap and they laugh. This stuff doesn't work. It's not going to reduce violence. Democrats know it's not going to reduce violence. And like I said, this isn't about reducing violence. They're trying to achieve a political agenda. They raised money, millions. Wasn't it Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, that said he was willing to spend $100 million to, toward gun control efforts? $100 million? Which to him is a drop in the bucket. Guy's a billionaire. That's what this is about for them, raising money. And I wish that the Republicans in Congress and in the state legislatures would stop this nonsense, trying to appease the left on gun control. They don't try to appease us on abortion. Well, maybe we should, you know, get a little, this partial birth abortion is a little extreme. They don't care. I think it's New York State that allows partial birth where they have to deliver the baby before they snap its neck. Maybe this is gruesome stuff, ladies and gentlemen. They don't blink an eye. 
They have no problem with that. And yet on gun control, our side, well, you know, maybe we should negotiate a little bit. Well, maybe we can do a little more because, you know, moms are screaming at us and, and moms want action. And, you know, this, it, it just, it sickens me. Like I said, we need to develop the attitude they have about abortion. No, never, not giving an inch. Get out of here. And I know how this works. And you know how this works. Remember after Sandy Hook? Another one of these horrific incidents that no gun control law would have stopped. This guy killed his mom and stole her guns. What of what Biden says here was going to stop that? The mass murderer in Uvalde obtained his guns legally. He had to go through a background check. So we, that's why I said this stuff's not going to work. It's a swing and a mess. Background check. Universal background checks. Anyway, Sandy Hook. Polls were taken, as always happens. Polls were taken immediately after the incident. And it showed, like it always does, larger and larger numbers are in favor of more gun control. Gets up like around 70%. But this is close to the incident where the motions are still running high. That's the wrong time to take the temperature. But the left knows that's the, the best time to take the temperature because they're going to get the highest reading. But you know what? About six months after Sandy Hook, when people were polled again about gun control, it went down to normal levels where around 60-plus percent are not in favor of more gun control. 60%. Over 60%. And it happens every time. Including after Uvalde. At the church shooting in South Carolina, which the FBI screwed up. And Dylan Roof was able to get a firearm when his, he got a dishonorable discharge, I think, from the military. And so that prohibited him from getting a firearm and the FBI missed it. See, gun control. But again, you know, you get people right after the incident. Oh, we got to have more. Oh, we got to do more. Oh, yeah. And then when, when emotions settle down, and that's what we, all the Republicans have to do. Let emotions settle down. You don't need to have hearings next week. That's what they did after Uvalde. Right away. We, well, we, because, you know, look, people are saying this is what the people want. No, it's not. You're playing on people's emotions, the Democrats are. And you're reacting to it, to what they're doing. They're insidious game here. So... You know, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats will never, ever stop coming after your guns. That's the part, man, a little frog in my throat from, I guess I'm getting a little, you know, excited about this. Because it does it. And not excited, it's not the, word, the right word. It's fired up about this stuff. I need you to be fired up about it. And I need you to become more engaged in a better fighter, a more effective fighter. In other words, a call to action, like a protest out in front of Congress or at your state. You don't always have to run to Washington, D.C. At your state capitol, even in your city government, at City Hall, have a demonstration. Get your gun supporters there. And your signs. No more gun control. Enough. 
Free the Second Amendment. Leave me alone. Hands off my guns. Now I want to get into an interesting aspect of this gun control, the history of it, and the role that racism plays, that a lot of people are not necessarily aware of. Gun control, the Second Amendment, so on and so forth. I, there's a an emotional aspect for me. And here's what that here's why that is. By the way, two sources of information I want to give to you. Two books. One is titled Negro and the Gun, the Black Tradition of Arms. And the other one is That Every Man Be Armed. That one's by Stephen Hallbrook. When this country was formed, slavery was the law of the land. And the Second Amendment didn't apply to my ancestors, the slaves. One of the hallmarks of slavery was that blacks were forbidden, the slaves, forbidden to arm themselves for protection. That's how that institution, that ugly institution, lasted as long as it did in this country. And it even existed after the Civil War. So when Finally, after the, and it took the 14th Amendment, it, not just the 13th Amendment, the 13th Amendment freed the slaves. The 14th said the Constitution and all of its privileges applies to the newly freed slaves because there were states in the South that continued the tradition of not allowing blacks to arm themselves, and therefore they couldn't protect them, their families and their, and their property from lynchings, burnings. Hangings, they couldn't defend themselves because you couldn't sell a firearm to a newly freed slave and they couldn't possess one. It was called the Black Codes. So it took the 14th Amendment to finally allow black people to defend themselves, the right of self defense. So, under this system of Jim Crow, and that was the name of the legal system of racial oppression that began after Reconstruction. It was a legal foundation of restrictive and oppressive gun control that was built by the Jim Crow laws. Here's something from the, uh, the site America's First Freedom. That's the magazine of the NRA. On Jim Crow, the racist roots of gun control. It says the newly defeated, or I should say, the defeated Confederate states enacted the Black Codes, which explicitly restricted gun possession and carrying by the newly freed slaves. Sometimes these laws facilitated the activities of the terrorist organization Ku Klux Klan, America's first gun control organization. The KKK, America's first gun control organization. This is what the Democrats wrapped themselves around with gun control. This racist, you know, the, the thing that has its roots in racism. So it says here the top item on the Klan's agenda was confiscating arms from the newly freed slaves to better terrorize them after. Because the new 14th Amendment forbade any state the equal protection of the laws, gun control statutes aimed at blacks could no longer be written to in overtly racial terms. So they hide it today and they hide it around criminals. Oh, gun safety. We want to we enhance gun safety by restricting your Second Amendment right. 
This all started under Jim Crow, this gun control idea. It says here in this article, Today these racist laws are the foundation of continuing infringement of the right to keep and bear arms. Gun control. But see, you never hear the Republicans hit back. I say, well, you don't care about kids getting killed in school. No, we're trying to end these oppressive, racist gun control ideas. This stuff has its history in racism. We're trying to end that. No, they don't talk like they're afraid. So it says here, the battle against Jim Crow has been going on for well over a century, and it will not be completed until the Jim Crow gun control cases are recognized for the constitutional abominations that they are and are placed on the ash heap of history along with Plessy v. Ferguson and the rest of their ilk. That's how you talk to Democrats on the Hill and in your state legislature. That's how you effectively deal with that. And there's some more here I want to get to from, from the other source I mentioned, Negro and the Gun, the Black Tradition of Arms. Let me start with uh, a reading of the Second Amendment before I go on to this, uh, the Black Tradition of Arms. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's pretty clear. It is to me anyway. Like I said, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I don't have to be. I know how to read. Shall not be infringed. You know, if you look at the the First Amendment, it's it's somewhat written in the same way. You know, it says the Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Shall make no law. The Second Amendment shall not be infringed. Article 3, no soldier shall in times of peace be quartered in any household. Article 4, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you see that word shall, that's absolute And that's what the Founding Fathers intended, to be absolute. And we keep edging away from that and all this stuff. We keep getting further and further away. We allow the courts to basically pass gun control legislation. And we allow the states to do it. When there's this thing called the Supremacy Clause. You know, when a court makes a decision, especially the Supreme Court, that's the law of the land. And we convolute it because of lawyers. So let me read some of these things from this book, Negro and the Gun, the Black Tradition of Arms. It's an interesting history. I've already read this before, but it's going to take a, a moment here to read some of it to let you know how the Democrats have flipped this thing on its head. You know, blacks, the newly freed slaves, and even generations after, embrace the Second Amendment? Now many blacks today are anti-Second Amendment because they don't know their history? If they did, they'd be some of the biggest supporters of the Second Amendment, including the NAACP, 
that fraudulent organization. Pro-gun control. So I'm going to just read a few passages here from this book. Frederick Douglass. His advice of a good revolver as the best response to slave catchers. His advice. A good revolver as the best response to slave catchers. In 1963, when Hartman Turnbow of Mississippi fought off the Klan attack, how did she do it? With rifle fire. The black tradition of arms has been, has been submerged because it seems hard to reconcile with the dominant narrative of nonviolence in the modern civil rights era. The longstanding distinction that was vividly evoked by movement stalwart Fannie Lou Hammer, Hammer's approach to segregationists, was this. Ask how she survived the threats from midnight terrorists? Hammer responded, quote, I'll tell you why. I keep a shotgun in every corner of my bedroom, and the first cracker, even looking like he wants to throw some dynamite on my porch, won't write his mama again. This was the attitude of blacks after, during Reconstruction after Reconstruction. Now they could finally defend themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, my ancestors, the slaves couldn't do it. The Constitution didn't apply to them. Post-13th Amendment and, and post-Reconstruction, post-Civil War. We had to fight more. We had to enact the 14th Amendment to finally get the Constitution applied to the newly free slaves. My ancestors shed blood, sweat, and tears for future generations of blacks to have the Constitution apply to them. And you think for one second I'm going to turn that back to government control? Are you kidding me? As I'd say, do you know me? I'm not giving up my Second Amendment right. No, not doing it. You can if you want, but I'm not doing it. Anyway, there's Fannie Lou Hammer. More on her. She embraced private self-defense and political nonviolence without any sense of contradiction. In this, she channeled a more than century-old practice and philosophy that evolved through every generation, sharpened by icons like Ida B. Wells, and W.E.B. Du Bois, pressed by the burgeoning NAACP and crystallized by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The NAACP used to abhor gun control, embrace the Second Amendment. Now these tap-dancing Negroes of the NAACP are right in bed with the Democrats on making it hard for everybody to exercise their Second Amendment right. When the ne- Back to the, the book here. When the Negro uses force in self-defense, he does not forfeit support. He may even win it by the courage and self-respect it reflects. Let me read that again. When the Negro uses force in self-defense, he does not forfeit support. He may even win it by the courage and self-respect it reflects. That's my attitude, ladies and gentlemen, on the Second Amendment. Well, Clark, don't you care about reducing violence? I know how to reduce violence, and it has nothing to do 
with anybody forfeiting their Second Amendment rights. Nothing to do with it. It's the last thing I'll read on this, this black tradition of arms here. Rising within a progressive political coalition that included the newly minted national gun control movement, the burgeoning black political class embraced gun bans and lesser supply controls as one answer to violent crime in their new domains. You see how they switched this? No longer a constitutional issue. They're making it, well, we're trying to reduce violence. Remember I told you the, 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 what Biden, uh, Biden and his you know, actions on uh, reducing gun violence? It's got nothing to do with gun violence. By the mid-1970s, these influences had supplanted the generations-old black tradition of arms with a modern orthodoxy of stringent gun control. This is amazing how we got here. And like I said, the harder you make it for people to exercise their Second Amendment right, remember the McDonald, Otis McDonald case? Elderly, black man lived in a housing project in Chicago in the ghettos, a violent housing project. And he couldn't own a gun living in this government-controlled housing project because they had a prohibition of guns in the housing project. So Otis McDonald petitioned the court and went all the way up to the Supreme Court. This case is not that old. Otis McDonald, look it up. And the courts rule that it couldn't be a government ban, total ban, on owning a gun in these government-owned housing projects. He won. You know, McDonald in that case and what was going on there, it, it left all these elderly people living in his housing project disarmed against the criminals who plagued their neighborhoods. So anyway, this will be a never-ending fight. This is not the last segment in the Straight Talk podcast that you're going to hear on gun control because there's no finish line to this fight. Like I said, the left will never stop. On by hook or by crook, taking away your Second Amendment right. And even after courts rule on this stuff, they just come by with new laws. You know, when, when the Supreme Court ruled in Heller, Heller wasn't that long ago either, and McDonald, that you couldn't have these sweeping, you know, making these group rights, they just came up with new laws. They didn't care. And we'll come up with new laws. It'll take this a long time to get through the courts, too. Just continue to frustrate our efforts. And again, that's why I started this Straight Talk podcast in the first episode with that wanted new conservative fighters. I needed you to know what you're going to have to become and what's going to be necessary. Remember at the end of that piece that I wrote, I said, you know, and I know everybody doesn't have the stomach for this. Well, then get used to government control over your lives. Get used to gun confiscation, because that's their ultimate goal. And then I don't want to hear any whining. Thanks for listening. Attention, patriots. Looking for a great book? 
Let me recommend the greatest story ever told. The We the People Bible is available for the first time in history. This Bible is for those who believe it is time to give America back to God. Faith is being targeted and our country's founding beliefs are being targeted. The We the People Bible is restoring what there is an attempt to remove, the preservation of faith and the preservation of America. One of the most unique features of this Bible is that it includes the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the Pledge of Allegiance as a bonus. This makes it a perfect heirloom to pass on to the generations to come. It is time to give America back to God, and this Bible is a great way to do just that. Get one for yourself and another as a gift for a friend or family member. Go to americasheriff.com and click on the Bible link to order today while supplies last. Friends, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Straight Talk with yours truly, America Sheriff David Clark. And a special thank you also goes out to our sponsors. My goal, as always, is to break down these complex and many times controversial issues and bring it to you straight with a little dose of common sense, no media bias, no talking points, just truth. And this podcast would not be possible without your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place to listen. And please share this message of common sense on social media. For more content, be sure to follow me on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And just a reminder, we'd love for you to join our Straight Shooters VIP Podcast Club for only $5 per month. And with that membership, you'll receive invitations to attend private podcast events throughout the year as a VIP guest when we come to your town. Plus, if you join today, you'll also receive a free coffee mug and a sample of our private label coffee as long as supplies last. Subscribe and join at America Sheriff. This podcast is brought to you by americasheriff.com with executive producer Judy Wilkinson of JL Wilkinson Consulting and producer Josh Wentz in partnership with our friends at Bulldog Media. If you are interested in partnering with Straight Talk Podcasts or having me speak in your area, please contact Judy at jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com, 706-518-2116. That's jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com. Phone number 706-518-2116.